As we come to Ruth chapter 3, we've been following it along, of course, to the first two chapters. We saw that in the first chapter, the, the whole dynamic there was this crisis that came upon a family that lived in Bethlehem. The, the crisis centered around this family, and the man's name was Elimelech, and his wife's name was Naomi. And in the midst of this crisis, they did exactly the wrong thing. They ran from the place God wanted them to be. They ran leaning upon their own understanding, trying to fix the problem themselves instead of trusting God. Then things didn't get any better for them. They got worse. They went from the frying pan, so to speak, into the fire. Until Naomi decided that no matter what the cost, no matter what the sacrifice, she was going to get back right with God. And then things started to fall in place in a beautiful way. Then, in the second chapter we saw that God not only brought them back to Bethlehem, but God was concerned to provide for their needs. Naomi and her daughter-in-law, Ruth, they came back to Bethlehem, but they had nothing. They were destitute. And God, working through his invisible but very powerful hand, working in that naturally supernatural way, you know what I'm talking about with that, he provided abundantly for Ruth and for Naomi. Now, that's not the end of the story, though, because even though they were set materially, right, they had enough money in the bank account, so to speak, what they didn't have was security. We need security, don't we? Don't we need to be anchored with a sense that that we are taken care of, that we're not all alone in this world, and that there is someone who will watch out for us. That great sense of security was exactly the thing lacking in the life of Ruth. And now God's going to address that in a beautiful story that we're going to find today in chapter 3, verse 1. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, shall I not seek security for you, that it may be well with you? Now Boaz, whose young women you were with, Is he not our relative? In fact, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. The time of harvest was over, and Ruth and Boaz had been around each other a lot in the weeks of the harvest. Every day she went out there to the harvest, and she was a gleaner. She associated herself with the workers in Boaz's place, and Boaz took a special concern over Ruth. Now, you can't really say that Ruth and Boaz were dating, not in the way that we think of dating, but what they did was something wonderful. They spent a lot of time with each other in the context of a group of people. You know, it's a tremendous way for people to get to know each other, right? Oftentimes, it's much better than what we normally think of as dating. Now, I don't mean to get into a big dating debate with you here this morning and talk about what's good about it or what's bad about it. I believe that God's given many of you wisdom on that, and it's wisdom that you need to share one with another. But I would just say this. From God's perspective, there is much in the dating game that works against forming healthy, long-lasting relationships. You know, for a lot of people, what we think of of dating today, it really has to do more with the continual making and then breaking of casual romantic relationships. And those patterns a lot of times teach people more about how to be good at breaking up than it is about how to be good at staying together. So anyway, Ruth and Naomi, excuse me, Ruth and Boaz, they're getting to know each other over weeks, over weeks, but now's the time. Now's the time. Naomi says, Ruth, 
You need security. Did you see that in verse 1? Shall I not seek security for you? Naomi knew that Ruth could best be taken care of if she was married. And so here's what she's going to suggest. Ruth, I want you to go to Boaz and suggest that he marry you. Now, doesn't that seem forward? Isn't that working the wrong way? Shouldn't it be the man that proposes to the woman? But look, I want you to understand, this was all founded upon a very important legal and traditional custom in ancient Israel. But don't miss the goal first. I'll talk about that custom in a moment. The goal for Ruth was security. It's a wonderful ancient Hebrew word that's used there. It's a word that speaks of rest and peace and security. And that's what Naomi knew that Ruth should be able to find in a good marriage. You know, a good marriage, a godly home, that's exactly what it should provide in our lives. Rest, peace, security. Your home should be a place of refuge. It's a place where you come and retreat from the battle instead of go home and go home to the battle, right? And this is what God intended for Ruth, and he was going to do it through a marriage. Now, What about this business about Ruth seemingly proposing to Boaz? Listen, it's all based on the custom. The custom that was found in the Old Testament, both in the law of Moses and in the traditions of that day. Don't think for a moment that that Naomi was plotting with Ruth, making her some kind of gold digger or man trap. No, she's not hunting down a reluctant Boaz for marriage. Instead, It was all rooted in this peculiar custom of marrying a widow from a relative. In other words, the Goel, the kinsman redeemer, the relative that she mentions right there in verse 2, that man had the responsibility to raise up a posterity to his deceased relative. And since Boaz was the recognized Goel, kinsman redeemer, near relative in that deceased family of Elimelech. Therefore, Ruth had the right to appeal to him, carry on the family name of Elimelech. It might seem forward to us, but in that day, it was regarded as fully proper. Basically, she's saying, I'm coming on behalf of my deceased father-in-law, Elimelech. He has no more posterity, no more name in Israel. Uh, Kinsman, redeemer, you have the responsibility to perpetuate that. Therefore, you're obligated to marry me and to give me children. Now, if Boaz did not fulfill this responsibility, not so much to Ruth, but to Elimelech, the direct family and name of Elimelech, the name of Elimelech would perish. God was very interested in perpetuating family in Israel. And he would do everything, even going through these, what we would think, strange lengths to do it. So now that's the situation. Now Ruth is going to make her appeal. So Naomi instructs her. Naomi knows a lot about men as she gives these instructions. Look at this. Verse 2, she says, Now Boaz, whose young women you are with, is he not our relative? In fact... He's winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Now, you should ask yourself, why would Boaz be working at night? And as we're going to find out, why would he be spending the night out in the barn, in in the threshing floor? Why? Well, because in that day, the days of the judges, it was a time of anarchy. It was a time of social breakdown. 
and marauding tribes of bandits came through Israel all the time, and they loved to steal the hard-earned grain of the farmers. And so Boaz was there to be protection. He was there to stand up for what was his and to say, listen, God brought me this crop. I'm not going to let the Moabites or the Philistines or the Ammonites come and steal it. So she says, look here, starting at verse 3. Therefore, wash yourself and anoint yourself and put on your best garment and go down to the threshing floor, but do not make yourself known to the man until he's finished eating and drinking. Now, there's a lot of feminine wisdom right there, isn't there? Make yourself clean, make yourself pretty, put on something that smells good, put on your best dress, and don't bother the guy until he's done eating his dinner. Right? There's some feminine wisdom there, isn't it? When all of that is done, verse 4, then it shall be that when he lies down, that you shall notice the place where he lies, and you shall go in uncover his feet and lie down and he will tell you what you should do and she said to her all that you say to me I will do this was the plan at the appropriate time Naomi instructed Ruth to go into the threshing floor area to uncover the feet of Boaz as he slept and to lie down at his feet now some people say and I think this is completely inaccurate But some people think that this was a sexually provocative gesture from Ruth. That this was Ruth's way of, in a very inappropriate way, offering herself to to Boaz. I don't think that at all. You see, what this was, was in that day, in that culture, it was understood to be an act of total submission. You see, in that day, this was understood to be the role of a servant, to lay at their master's feet and to be ready for any command of the master. And so, for Ruth to go in, to gently uncover the blanket from Boaz's feet, to lay down at his feet was a powerful way for for her to say, I respect you, I trust you, I put my fate in your hands. Listen, don't lose sight of the bigger picture. Ruth came to do what? To claim a right. Have you ever thought about that? It was Ruth's right to ask Boaz to marry her because he had this special responsibility in the family as being the kinsman redeemer. But she doesn't go in there with a law code and say, listen, Boaz, it's your responsibility. You better marry me right now. Leviticus 19 says that you have to do it. No, that wasn't it at all. No, instead of standing on her rights, Naomi wisely counseled Ruth to not come to her as a victim, not to come to Boaz, I should say, as a victim demanding her rights, but as a humble servant trusting in the goodness of her kinsman redeemer. So she says to Boaz with great submission through this, I respect you. I trust you. I put my fate in your hands. And that's why at the end, verse 4, Naomi says, Ruth, hey, he'll know what to do. He will tell you what you should do. Now listen, I know what some of you are thinking. Midnight rendezvous at the threshing floor. Ruth comes in and, and she, she presents herself to Boaz this way. Isn't this a prescription for disaster? And I would say it is. There is absolutely here the potential for disaster if Boaz should mistreat Ruth in some way. But what's the difference here? Naomi and Ruth had the chance to get to know Boaz 
and they knew what kind of man he was. They knew that he was a good man, a godly man, one to whom Ruth could confidently submit. Wasn't Ruth taking a big gamble here? I'm going to submit myself to this man in a way that could potentially do me harm, but I trust him so much. I put my faith in him so much that he will not abuse me. Instead, he will bless me. And Ruth took that gamble, and God rewarded her for it. If you want to draw the lens back, I think there's husbands and wives thinking about this exact dynamic right here. There's husbands here probably right now. You're listening to me and you're thinking, man, I wish my wife would submit to me the way that Ruth submitted to Boaz. Oh, not literally laying down at the feet. That's kind of weird. But the whole, the whole spirit of the thing, you man, well, I wish I had that kind of heart of submission for my wife. Listen, husband, let me challenge you on that. Are you the kind of good and godly and trustworthy and respect-worthy man like Boaz was? Stop wishing your wife was a Ruth, and why don't you step up to the plate and be a Boaz? Well, then there's some wives, right? Aren't there some wives saying, I wish my husband was a Boaz? Look at this, what a kind and generous and noble man. I wish my husband was like that. Why can't he be more like Boaz? Wives, can I just turn it back around on you? Instead of you sitting around waiting for your husband to be a Boaz, why don't you start acting like a Ruth? Wouldn't that be glorious? The husband leaves here today saying, all right, I'm going to be this kind of good and godly man. God helping me. Jesus working through me. That's the kind of man I'm going to be. And the wife goes away saying the same thing, that she's going to be the kind of woman like Ruth. And then you have a marriage that's much better just like that, isn't it? Instead, what normally happens? The husband sits around waiting for the wife to change. The wife sits around waiting for the husband to change. And nothing ever happens. No, don't get caught in that trap. The Bible speaks to husbands and wives individually. You do what you should be doing in the marriage. And God will work through that. Now look what happens here, verse 6. So she went down to the threshing floor and did all according to her mother-in-law instructed her. And after Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was cheerful, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain and she came softly, uncovered his feet and lay down. Is the movie running in your head? It's dark, right? He's there. Boaz is on guard. He's got a sword or a knife or a stick or something by him because he's thinking, if those Moabites rob me like they robbed my neighbor two weeks ago, I'm ready for him. I'm ready for anything. And then he's sound asleep. His stomach's full, right? He's all enjoyed a good dinner. You know how good you sleep after a good meal. And so he lays down and he's sleeping soundly. Then all of a sudden he wakes up in the middle of the night. And there's somebody there in the room, and he doesn't know who's expecting. He draws out whatever weapon or thing he's ready to protect himself. And then what happens? It says, there he, she lay down, verse 8. Now it happened at midnight that the man was startled and turned to himself. And there a woman was lying at his feet, and he said, who are you? So she answered, I am Ruth, coming to demand my rights. No, I am Ruth, your maidservant. Take your maidservant under your wing, for you are a close relative, for you are a goel. Incredible scene. Boaz wakes up startled. He was there to protect against thieves. He's on guard. But there he hears a feminine, familiar voice answer him in the darkness. And she's not demanding her rights. She's not saying, you have to do this. She's saying, take 
your maidservant under your wing, for you are my Goel, you are my kinsman redeemer. She boldly asked Boaz to take her in marriage. What a beautiful picture that is of the marital relationship. You come, spread your wing over me and cover me. There's something in that that appeals to a woman, isn't it? And there's something in there that appeals to a man. A, a man wants to feel that he's a noble man protecting somebody special in his wife. And a woman, there's something in her that wants to be protected by a noble man. Oh, not that she's incompetent, not that she can't do anything. That's not the point at all. But that she needs someone in this world who will look out for her needs. And that man needs to look out for somebody in a special way. So he says, cover me over with your wing because you, verse 9, you are a close relative. Now look, again this shows that this was not an inappropriate thing for Ruth to ask. She's not asking it. She is doing it appropriately because this is what the law of Moses says. And look at Boaz's response right there in verse 10. Then he said, blessed are you of the Lord, my daughter, for you have shown more kindness at the end than at the beginning and that you did not go after young men, whether poor or rich. Now I find this to be a very revealing statement from Boaz, don't you? He's saying, Ruth, I'm surprised. You want me to marry you? I thought you were going to go after the younger guys or the richer guys than me. Boaz apparently was recognizing that there was some age gap between him and Ruth. And he just figured, well, she'd want somebody different than me. Boaz didn't think of himself as proud and, and, oh, every woman wants me or something like that. No, no, not at all. It shows us something else wonderful about Boaz He had the right to force himself upon Ruth as her goel, but he did not. He wasn't going to just say, well, there's a woman I want, and I have her by right. He was kind enough to not act towards Ruth as a goel unless she desired it. But then again, doesn't this show us something wonderful about Ruth? It shows us. That her attraction to Boaz, it wasn't based primarily on image, primarily on status. Her attraction to Boaz was based primarily on respect. And that's something that I think that that women need to hear. You, You women, you want to be married, you're single, and you're looking for a man, you're thinking about a man to marry. Listen, very high on your list. Higher than good looks. Higher than a cool image. Uh, higher than the way he dresses, uh, higher than how much money he makes, uh, higher than all of those things on your list for what kind of man you're looking for. It better be, I'm looking for a man I can respect. Because at the end of the day, that's what God requires of you in the marriage. And if you don't think about that before you get into it, you're going to have trouble doing it when you are married. And so She says, listen, I I love you because you're a man I can respect. You're not the youngest guy around. You're not the best looking guy around. You're not the richest guy around. But Boaz, I respect you. And Boaz saw this. So now he says in verse 11, and now my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you request. For all the people of my town know that you are a virtuous woman. Now, this isn't the wedding ceremony, but this is the engagement ceremony. Boaz is saying, basically, I'll do it. I'll marry you. 
Oh, how Ruth's heart must have been cheered at that. Yes, this man is going to come and he's going to protect me. He's going to be there and be my security. And Boaz made Naomi look brilliant with her advice to Ruth, right? Naomi knew exactly how to set this one up. But I love the phrase at the end of verse 11. You noticed it, right? All the people of my town know that you are a virtuous woman. Boaz was attracted to Ruth primarily because of her character. I mentioned this last week. We have no description of Ruth's appearance in the book of Ruth. We're not told that she's beautiful. We're not told that she's not beautiful. There's just nothing said about it. And that's because I think the Bible wants us to say that her appearance wasn't important to Boaz. What was important to Boaz was her character. Matter of fact, he uses a very special word in the ancient Hebrew. He called Ruth a ha-yil woman. And the idea behind that ancient Hebrew word is strength or moral strength or good quality, or integrity and virtue. When it's used of a man, it's usually translated a mighty man of valor. Isn't that a great description for a man? Well, when you turn that around and talk about it in a woman, the Bible usually translates it a woman of virtue. And isn't this a great love story? You have a mighty man of valor like Boaz coming together with a genuine woman of virtue like Ruth, And God is bringing them together in a beautiful relationship. So at the end of verse 11, we're just reading, oh, great, it all sounds wonderful. Wedding bells are ringing. Ruth and Boaz, you just think the next verse should just say, and they lived happily ever after. Not so fast. There's a problem here, verse 12. Now, it is true that I am a close relative. However, there is a relative closer than I. Now, look. Boaz wasn't the only Goel or kinsman redeemer in the family. As a matter of fact, there was another one in the family. He's never named for us in the book of Ruth. He's never named, but there was a closer one in the family of Elimelech. And actually, he stood in closer relationship to Ruth and Naomi than Boaz did. So here's what he's saying. He says, Ruth, I'll marry you, but this guy has to turn you down first. Because if he wants to exercise his right of Goel, I can't get in the way. I think there's something really spectacular about that. And this is what's spectacular about it. Is that Boaz was not willing to cut corners. He was going to do this right. Isn't it funny that a lot of people, when they fall in love, instantly, they they think that they can cut corners to pursue love, right? They can cut moral corners. They they can cut uh, corners of integrity in their life. They they can cut corners of integrity. Why? In the name of love. That wasn't Boaz. Boaz said, look, we have to do this right. I love you, Ruth. I want to marry you. But if this doesn't happen right before God, it's not going to happen at all. Look at what he says here in verse 13. He says, stay this night and in the morning it shall be that if he will perform the duty of a close relative for you, good, let him do it. But if he does not want to perform the duty for you, then I will perform the duty for you as the Lord lives. Lie down until morning. Isn't that great? Listen, Ruth, here's the problem. You are in need of this security and you have made your appeal for a Goel to marry you. Okay, great, Ruth. The solution is tomorrow you're going to get married. We just don't know who to yet. It's either going to be Boaz or it's going to be this closer uh, kinsman redeemer, this closer Goel. 
So how is it going to happen here? Verse 14. So she lay at his feet until morning, and she arose before one could recognize another. Then he said, Do not let it be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. Also, he said, bring the shawl that is on you and hold it. And when she held it, he measured six ephahs of barley and laid it on her. And then she went into the city. Now, two things. Notice in verse 14, he says, hey, don't let anybody know this. Please don't think that this is because there was a scandalous rendezvous at midnight on the threshing floor. That's not the reason why he said, don't tell anybody. He doesn't want anybody to know because he wants to control the approach to the nearer kinsman. He says, listen, I want to manage this well. I want to hit that guy in the right way so that it'll turn out the best way. That's why Boaz is saying, don't spread this about. But secondly, did you notice what he did? It says in verse 15 that he gave her a bunch of grain to take home to Naomi. He's a proper gentleman. He wasn't going to send Ruth home empty-handed. And because he didn't have any chocolates, he gave her six handfuls of grain. Now look, it says in my Bible and maybe in your Bible, six ephahs of barley. I don't think that's an accurate translation. If you notice, in my Bible, the word ephahs is in italics. It means that it's added. I think what he gave her was six handfuls of grain. Why? Well, because six ephahs of grain was 33 gallons of grain, and I don't think Ruth had a shawl big enough to carry that much. So I think he just gave her a gift, go home, explain the situation to Naomi, and that's exactly what Ruth does here at verse 16. So when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, Is that you, my daughter? And she told her all that the man had done for her. And she said, these six ephahs of barley he gave me, for he said to me, do not go empty-handed to your mother-in-law. Then she said, sit still, my daughter, until you know how the matter will turn out, for the man will not rest until he's concluded the matter this day. Boaz isn't going to rest until this situation is fixed this very day. Now, this was a time of considerable anxiety for Ruth. She had claimed her right to marriage. And by the law of Moses, she would be married. That day in Bethlehem, there was going to be a wedding. And Ruth was the bride. The only problem is we don't know who the groom is yet. Who's it going to be? Well, you got to come back next week when we get to chapter 4. Well, really, it's a real cliffhanger. End of chapter 3. No, I see somebody. You're looking ahead over there. No, no, no. Well, I'll tell you, it's going to be Boaz. I hope I didn't spoil that for anybody. But you've got to see how it happens, because how it happens is very important. Now, I want you to see the transition that happened from the beginning of the chapter to the end. At the beginning of the chapter, Ruth has a very uncertain unsecure future. She has no security in her life. Now, at the end of the chapter, her security is assured. It is. She's going to be married, hopefully to the right guy, but she's going to be married. Her security is assured. I want you to see that God took her from insecurity to full security, and he wants the same thing to happen in your life. And I think this little track through this third chapter shows us exactly how. First of all, notice it shows us that security isn't found in possessions, right? Ruth and Naomi had a pretty good bank account, did they not? But it wasn't enough to give them security. Secondly, security comes from a special person. 
Now, that person in Ruth's life was going to be Boaz. That person in your life is Jesus Christ. Listen, I talked about it last week. Don't miss the big picture of this story. Boaz is like Jesus. He's a good man. He's a godly man. He's a man who's kind and shows remarkable kindness to the undeserving. And he's a man who reaches out to the foreigner and the outcast and gives them security. That's the kind of man Jesus is. You and I are like Ruth. We're foreigners. We're outcasts. We need help. We need provision. We need security. Jesus is like Boaz. You and I are like Ruth. And Boaz was a special person who could bring Ruth security for three reasons. First of all, he was special because of his office. He was a kinsman, redeemer, a goel in the family. Because of who he was, he could bring security to Ruth. And the same is true with Jesus Christ and you. Because of who he is, prophet, priest, and king, fully God, fully man, Jesus Christ can bring security to your life. You know, because he's God, he's big enough to meet your every need. Because he's also man, his heart beats in sympathy with you. That's what you need. But, but also, Boaz was qualified to this because of the resources that he had. He was a man of wealth. He had resources. He could do it. Might I say that Jesus has the resources to be your security? If you're feeling insecure, you need to trust a really rich person. And don't stop with any rich person on this earth. You go right to heaven with the man who's enthroned in heaven and who has all the riches of the Godhead at his disposal. That will bring you security. And third, Boaz was special and was, could be a special security for Ruth because he loved her. And the same thing is true about Jesus Christ to you. He's special because of his office. He's special because of his resources. And he's special because of his love. But third, and this is a very important point, security only comes when we put our faith in that special person. Right? Didn't Ruth have to take a huge gamble of faith to go to that threshing floor at midnight. She had to trust that Boaz was everything he was represented to be. Now, thankfully, he was, and it worked. But she had to have tremendous faith in Boaz and take what I would call a risk of faith in order to see it happen. And you have to do the same thing with Jesus Christ. You have to put his faith. Listen, Jesus is secure in his office. He's secure in his resources. He's secure in his love. But you will never enjoy it unless you put your faith in him as a special person. And might I say, Jesus has shown himself to be completely worthy of that trust. You don't have to doubt that for a moment. Fourth, security comes when we make a bold appeal to that person. Isn't that what Ruth did? She made a bold appeal. Listen, For a woman in that culture to go to the man and say, I think you should marry me, that's a bold appeal. But the same thing stands for us. We need to make a bold appeal to Jesus. Jesus, I put my faith in you. Now you, Jesus Christ, you be my security. All the fears, all the anxieties in my heart. I'm worried about this and that and the other thing. Jesus, I need you to be my rock, you to be my security. I boldly put my faith in you. And we can find security there because just like Boaz did not refuse Ruth, I can tell you very strongly, security comes because our Goel, our kinsman redeemer, will never deny an appeal that's made in faith. 
Now, finally, let me say this. Boaz was very concerned about doing this the right way, was he not? He wasn't just going to say, hey, let's run off to the Bethlehem wedding chapel and I'll marry you. He goes, no, there's another guy who's closer than me in line. We've got to make sure that guy turns you down before I can righteously marry you. I've got to do this the right way. Jesus is interested in giving you security, but only in doing it righteously. Might I say that that's why we are so happy to take communion together this morning. Because the security that Jesus offers to you righteously is presented to you because he allowed his body to be broken and his blood to be poured out for your sake. What Jesus did on the cross means he can righteously be our security. He can do it because he paid the penalty. All that my sin deserved as far as guilt and shame and punishment, it was put upon Jesus and he satisfied the righteous requirement of God and of divine justice there on the cross. He is our Boaz. He's going to bring us security and he's going to do it righteously. Now, in just a moment, the ushers are going to come forward, and they're going to distribute the elements of communion. And they're going to stand there. They're going to be ready. You're going to take that piece of bread, and please, I ask you to hold on to it, because we all want to take it together. But listen, I want you to take it, and I want you to think. I need security, and it comes to me by what Jesus did on the cross for me. That's the whole key here, friends. What Jesus did on the cross for you is the foundation of everything that God gives to you in Jesus Christ. And that's why it's so wonderful for us to remember it together. So are you ready for this? You see, God loves us so much that he doesn't want you to hear this in words. He wants you, and I mean this literally, he wants you to taste it this morning. Are you ready for that? Are you ready to taste what Jesus did for you on the cross so that you can be secure in your life. Let's pray together. Father, I think about the many people here before me right now. And I think about how each life has an individual story. But Lord, every one of us needs to find our security in you. Lord, I pray that that now, as we prepare ourselves to receive communion, that you would speak to us in your power, in your grace, in your glory, and through what we eat and through what we drink right now, that you would assure us of the great love and grace and power of God for us that has come to us to save us and forgive us and bring security into our life. Do it now, Lord. Do it for your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.